Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, open it to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. As you're finding it, let me remind you that we started our latest midweek teaching series, and last week we started off by looking at this question of whether or not God still does miracles. You can find that teaching on our website. This Wednesday, we're going to handle another difficult question. I think we have a slide up there that'll show you the, the Wednesdays that are coming up. This Wednesday, we're going to look at the role of women in ministry in the local church. Should women preach or be pastors? And we're going to handle that topic. I'll be teaching on that this Wednesday night. We have dinner at 545. Please RSVP for that so we know we can prepare enough food. And then we'll teach here in the sanctuary at 630. The following week, we're going to look at baptism, some of the intricacies and nuts and bolts about questions surrounding baptism, who should be baptized and at what age. Then we're going to look at politics, marijuana, and then homosexuality and gender. Can a Christian identify as one of those and truly be a Christian. So we're, we're handling some difficult topics this midweek series. Please come this Wednesday night. I'd love for you to, to avail yourself of that, and we'll get into what the Bible says about these things and, and hopefully have time for questions at the end of our teaching. Our text this morning is one that is well known in the letter of James. It's a, a challenging text. We mentioned a few weeks ago that James brought up this issue of tongue and speech a few weeks ago, and I, and I gave us a kind of warning that we're going to get to chapter 3, and he's going to go all in. And here we are in these portion, this portion of James chapter 3, where James is going to, he's going to, he's going to encourage us. I remember it vividly. I was a young boy, it was probably the late 70s, I was probably seven or eight years old, and I remember the first time it happened. I was the, young, the little brother, and the only way that I could exert my will in the world was not physically, because I would get pounded by my older brother, was to say something. And I remember the first time I, in frustration, playing a game out in the front yard that I called my brother a bad name. And unfortunately, this particular day, my mother was standing just inside the front door, and she heard the word that I used, and it happened for the first time. She opened the door. She called me by my name, and she used my middle name. And she said, get in here and come to the kitchen sink. And then, and this actually happened to people in my generation and older. <laughs> Listen to me, young people. She washed my mouth out with a bar of Irish spring soap. <laughs> Our text this morning is a bit like getting your mouth washed out with soap. Let me read to you our text. This is God's word. 
James writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us receive this text and be changed by it. Lord Jesus, in his prayer in John 17, says that your word is truth. He prays that you would sanctify your people by your truth, your word. Do that this morning, I pray. Make this body of Christ more like, more transformed into the image of your son, so that we might be a greater clearer witness to an onlooking world. Lord, for our friends that are gathering with us this morning, whose, whose eyes are still blind, whose hearts are still dead, whose ears are still deaf to the good news of the gospel that we have already sung about and prayed about, Lord, would you, by your sovereign grace, would you create what you command of them? Would you give them a new heart and the faith that comes with a new heart so that they can believe in Jesus and be made new and be saved and be part of your family. Help us now as we look at this text. Wound us and heal us with your word, I pray. And we humble ourselves under it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to look at four truths about the tongue that I think this text unfolds for us. Four truths about the tongue. So let's, let's work our way back through this passage. So look at the first verse again. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I think he starts off with this. There's a bit of a debate about this verse. Is, does James, is James talking just about teachers and their speech in this passage? Or is he making the broader point about, about all believers and, and their speech? I think, I think he's making a broader point. I think this has applicability to whether or not 
we are teachers in any formal or informal sense. And in a sense, all of us are kind of teachers as Christians. We're, we're exhorted in the Bible to encourage and admonish one another. So if you're a believer, you have a kind of informal organic teaching ministry by the words that come out of your mouth. But I don't think that James is necessarily just talking about those who occupy an official role of teaching in the life of the church. I think he's going to launch into this discussion about the tongue and about how critical it is to sincere and genuine faith. And he starts off in his mind by saying, wow, those of you who use your tongue a lot, especially in a public setting, you are particularly vulnerable. So this is a kind of warning to people like me that where there are many words, there are many opportunities for sin. And he says that we will, those who, who speak in a teaching way, who, who have a responsibility to lead others, will be judged with a greater strictness. I think this is, an, this is a, a, a warning to any of us who want to get up and open God's word and teach from it. We live in a culture where sometimes people are just sort of ushered up to the front because maybe they have charismatic personalities or, or maybe they're eloquent in some sort of natural gifting. But God does not intend for the church to be led by people who are merely eloquent or merely charismatic or merely don't suffer from stage fright. God intends for his people to be led by his word. And so people that get up and leads God, lead God, God's people should lead God's people by his word, not by their charisma. We could get into First and Second Timothy where Paul tells this young pastor, preach the word. Now, although I don't think this is the main thrust of this passage, I do want to sort of help us as a congregation tune ourselves into insisting that those who get up in the gathered assembly, whatever it may be, whether it's Sunday morning or a Sunday school class or a small group, preach and teach and speak the word and are careful with the delivery of God's word. And I think about my own life. I think about times when I have not been careful with the word and said things that were flippant or said things to sort of make myself look good or to tickle the ears of my hearers. And I lament that and I confess that that has certainly marked at least portions of my teaching in the past. May the Lord help me to not do that anymore. He says in verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. I think this brings us to the first truth, verse 2, that we see about the tongue in this passage. And it is this, is that taming our tongues is essential to our sanctification. The taming of the tongue, what we say, and our ability to control our tongue, to bridle our tongue, is in a sense ground zero for this obedience, this sanctification. And if you're not familiar with the word sanctification, that's a biblical word that means after you have become a Christian, after God has saved you, after he's transformed and taken your dead heart and given you a new heart and made you alive and given you the gift of faith by where you can trust in Jesus and believe in him and his life and death and resurrection as the only sacrifice and atonement for your sins. After you have been born again, now the process, the rest of the Christian life, until we see him face to face, is this process of sanctification, which is a biblical word that means we grow slowly over the course of time and become more and more mature, 
more and more like Christ in our lives. And that's the whole purpose of James's letter. He is concerned with making sure that his readers understand that if we say we have faith in God, more specifically, if we say we have faith in Jesus, that that type of faith must be followed by what he calls works, but is a kind of obedience, a kind of sanctification, some fruit that we are, we are made alive and that we are striving to become more like him. And listen to what he says in verse 2. He says that if a man is able to bridle, to control his tongue, says that he's a perfect man. It doesn't mean that he's sinless. Oftentimes when the Bible uses this word perfect in the New Testament especially, it means that he's complete. He's, he's, he's a fully mature spiritual man. And listen to what he says there. He says that if you can bridle your tongue, you're able to bridle your whole body. Consider James's logic here. If we tame our tongues, we can tame the rest of our bodies, the rest of our sanctification. He's arguing from the greater to the lesser. If you can run a marathon, and I'm not sure why you'd want to, but if you can, you can run a 5K. If you can lift 100 pounds, you can lift 10 pounds. And if you can tame your tongue, James is telling us, then we can tame our other appetites and lusts that lead us away from God. What sin, as I was reading this and thinking about this, I thought about my own life, and I thought, what sin do I struggle most with? What temptation is the greatest in my life? And James is saying that part of the key to gaining the spiritual strength and discipline to resist that, whatever it is in your life, is controlling your tongue. We don't necessarily think of those things as connected. We kind of think in the spiritual fight of, of sanctification as maybe being compartmentalized. But James is saying that if you can control your tongue, it has a kind of residual effect of spiritual strengthening whereby you can then bridle your whole body. Why is this? It's not because the tongue in and of itself has some sort of inherent power. It's one of the smallest muscles in our body. But it's because we see in the Bible that our tongues are an indicator of our hearts. Ironically, physically, we put a thermometer under our tongue to take our physical body temperature. And likewise, likewise, our tongues give a reading of our spiritual temperature. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 6, verses 43 and 45. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And listen to this. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so really, the bridling of the tongue is an indicator that the heart has been bridled, that, that we are we are living from this new heart that God has given us rather than giving over to the old heart that still rears its ugly head. Listen to what the Proverbs say about the tongue. Proverbs 18, verse 21, it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Just other indicators of the power of the tongue and how it, how it tells on the condition of our heart. So just note here, after verse 2, this first truth, that taming our tongues is essential to our sanctification. It's essential to this type of life that James sketches out in this letter. Truth number two, our tongues have incredible influence. Our tongues have incredible influence. That's what he says in verses three through five. Let's look at three through five closely. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Think of a horse, just majestic. I, I, I grew up, my mother owned horses when I was a child, and she would take us riding on many weekends. I never really got into them. I think she was frustrated with that. My brother and I just wanted to go play ball, and she wanted us to be horse people. But we would just go <laughs> ride, ride these horses with us on the beautiful desert canal uh, of canals of El Centro, where, you know, just desert, where the beautiful scene of tumbleweeds and graffiti filled the desert landscape. It was beautiful. But I, I always had an appreciation for how beautiful and how powerful horses are. And, you know, a horse, if it doesn't want to have anything to do with you, it, it can throw you off and it can take off. And think of this imagery here is that with just a little piece of metal, put into a horse's mouth, and then a leather leash kind of thing, a bridle, you can control one of the most physically powerful animals in the world and make it obey us. That's a picture that James uses for our tongues. Then he says, verse 4, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pirate directs. A great ship, a massive, a massive city floating on the water can be, can be directed by just a small little rudder underneath the surface. And then he compares this to the tongue. Verse 5 there, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. The tongue reveals our spiritual maturity the tongue directs our lives. It steers our lives. And the tongue is capable of great things. Great things. T tongues, when used effectively, can, can motivate people, can inspire people, can be used to bring life, and it can be used as kind of a sort of spiritual water and seed that the Holy Spirit uses to bring life and fruit and direction and life into a family or a marriage or a child's heart or a church or a sports team or a nation or an army. There's something about powerful words of life that God uses to make people do what they otherwise could not do before they heard those words of life. The tongue is incredibly powerful. And I think all of us have been in situations where we've heard a good word fitly spoken. And the proverb says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. A motivating word, a good word, brings great power and direction. 
and it steers the course of our life. But now, we need to understand that it can also have a negative influence, which leads us to our third truth. Our tongues can also have destructive power. So up to this point, at least in verses 3 through 5, it's been sort of neutral. He's just, he's just teaching us about the power of the tongue, which I think we all inherently know. But when we see it here in the Word, it comes to greater life. And then the third truth that we see in the second half of verse 5 through 8 is our tongues have destructive power. Look at halfway through verse 5. He says, he, he makes a transition now to the destructive nature of the tongue. And he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Think about the news that we're seeing of all these, these terrible fires in Australia. Uh, where I live in Southern California, forest fires are often a, a scary thing. And you think about millions and millions and millions of acres in Australia are consumed by just one little spark. The forest is taken down by a small fire. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It's a whole world of unrighteousness. And the tongue is set among our members, not only our own members, our own bodies, in a sense there's a kind of dual application that's set among just the members of our own body, but also the members of the church. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. Notice the... The, the, the stark nature of how James is painting this picture of how powerful this little tongue can be in its destructive power. And where's the motivation come? Where is it, where's this spark coming from? It's set on fire by hell itself. In verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Think about last night. I, one of the things I do on Saturday nights is I like to watch Planet Earth. It's always on Saturday nights on the BBC. And I just love that British guy, David Attenborough's accent. It calms me down. I get anxious and nervous about Sunday morning. And just, just this British guy and animals on the screen just kind of calms me down. <laughs> <laughs> just a little picture into my life. You needed to know that. Um, and last night, there was this little part in one of these Planet Earth specials about these whales. And there was these whale sharks. And then there was these orcas. And I thought about growing up, going to SeaWorld in San Diego, and these people that work with whales and tame them. And how incredible that, that and for a time I wanted to be one of those people. Like I think every little kid that grows up near San Diego wants to be like a marine biologist at some point in his life. I also wanted to be the quarterback of the San Diego Chargers and I thought that you know those two things could work together. I could be a whale tamer during the off season and I could be the quarterback of the San Diego Chargers. You know. Neither of those worked out by the way. And look at verse 7. He says that we can tame massive sea creatures. You can go to a circus where people pet tigers. And that tiger is a powerful animal and it can rip your head off. But he's saying that the tongue is more powerful than a killer whale or a tiger. No human being can tame it. It's a restless evil. It doesn't sleep. 
It's always scurrying about. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, as I was reading this, I thought that these descriptions by James are so stark and they're so vivid that unless we sit in them for a moment and try to apply them to our lives, the, 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 the vividness of these illustrations can almost be so great that we might be prone to write ourselves out of applying these verses to our lives because it just seems so enormous, just so, so huge. I mean, we don't necessarily instinctively think of our own tongues as being like a fire that could burn a million acres in Australia. We don't think of our own tongues as being a restless evil full of deadly poison. We don't think of our own tongues as having the power of a killer whale or a deadly tiger. We don't think of our own tongues as being set on fire by hell itself. We think maybe, oh, this is just some hyperbolic description in the Bible to sort of wake us up. But friends, let's consider we could spend a whole series of messages on this, but let's just consider two destructive ways of the tongue that I think work themselves into our lives and into the life of every family and every church that I want us to consider and fight against. And those two ways are gossip and sarcasm. Gossip. Gossip will kill the culture of a family, of a workplace of a military unit, of a church. We all know what gossip is. It is spreading something that may even be true, or even something more likely that we want to be true so that it diminishes somebody else for our exaltation. Really, that's at the heart of gossip. At the heart of gossip is we are, we are worshiping an idol, and that idol is us. We are wanting to prop ourselves up. We're wanting to make ourselves superior in that situation. Gossip is always serving our means, our end, and that end is making ourselves, exalting ourselves over the person that we want to bring down in a kind of subtle way. And here's the thing about gossip in the life of a church, why it's so subtle and it's so, it's so insidious, is gossip is often passed along in the culture of a church under the veneer of spiritual concern and prayer requests. Isn't it? And what happens is it, is it kills. It kills. Listen to what Morgan Blake, some of you may be familiar with Morgan Blake. He was a sports writer in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution back in the mid-1900s, a famous sports writer. I believe he was a Christian, I'm not sure. But he says this, he says, he wrote this, Who am I? I am more deadly than the screaming shell of a cannon. I win without killing. I tear down homes, break hearts, and wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for injustice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget and seldom forgive. And my name is Gossip. Gossip kills. May our ears as believers in Jesus, whose hearts and tongues and ears have been redeemed, may our ears, think of it this way, I love this image, may our ears be 
the place where gossip goes to die. That'd be cool. You ladies, you know, like you want to sell things on you know, Pinterest or Etsy and you're a little crafty person, make little earrings that have like little tombstones and just kind of sell those. That'd be cool. It was a strange thought, but it just came to me. That'd be, just sell those like little, little tombstone gossip and just, just, that's it. May our ears be the graveyard for gossip. The second type of destructive speech that I want us to think about is, I just think it's pervasive. It's pervasive in my life. And I confess it and I want to stomp it out. And so I'm going to work out my own salvation in front of hundreds of my closest friends. And this, this, this destructive thing is sarcasm. Sarcasm on the surface seems harmless. But I think underneath it is, it's, it's, it's really just insecurity. It's not knowing what to say. It's a kind of nervousness that then exerts itself at the expense of others. Now, of course, I'm not against humor. I love humor. I grew up in a family full of humor. My dad is a funny, funny man. He's a joy to be around. But sarcasm can tighten the people around you, tightens us up. It makes us subconsciously guarded. What's the difference between humor and sarcasm? Humor, I think, in, in the best sense of the word, is joy at nobody's expense. Whereas sarcasm is a kind of jagged humor at somebody else's expense. And it, it tightens up the room. It sends the signal, which is the opposite signal of what gospel community should be. It sends the signal that this place is not a safe place to be vulnerable because you might end up being the butt of the joke. And it, it can kill a community. Listen, listen, to, listen to what the Proverbs say about, about this type of speech. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. <laughs> Amen. Now let's be people that laugh, but let's be people that not trade on humor at other people's expense and that make ourselves feel better in our insecurities by always having the witty, sarcastic joke. And the problem is, quite frankly, is that we are discipled by sitcoms that disciple our minds on just sarcastic humor. And it's, it's, quite frankly, it's, it's bad for us. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, and then we'll move on because I know it's, it's getting uncomfortable. Ephesians 4, verse 20. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> Ephesians, or brother, I can't tell. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion. It may give grace to those who hear. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Those, remember, those are things that come out of your mouth. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as, in, as God in Christ forgave you. To chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is is proper among the saints. Let there be, verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Our tongues can be destructive. Let's, let's wage war against gossip and sarcasm in our homes, in our hearts, and in our church. And then finally, our tongues can confuse the world about the gospel. That's, that's at the very heart of this, I think. Our tongues can confuse the world about the gospel. Look at verses 9 through 12, the end of our text. With it, meaning the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, although not explicitly stated in these verses 9 through 12, I think there is an underlying evangelistic impulse and burden that James has and that the whole of the New Testament has, in fact, the whole Bible has, about the purposes of God in sanctifying and forming his people. He has called us, he has blessed his people, as he says to Abraham, all the way back in Genesis 12, so that through them, they might be a blessing to the nations. So God's evangelism program is the proclamation of the gospel through the people of God and the way they live together. And we see here in verses 9 through 12, there's this, there's this metaphor of tasting and drinking. There's a spring or a pond that you drink from or a fig tree or a grapevine that you eat from. And when our tongues are duplicitous, when they're deceitful, when they're double-pronged like this, when they issue out blessings on one hand and cursings on the other, it obscures the gospel. And when unbelieving friends around us hear this type of double talk, they will back up from taking a bite of the fruit of our lives because they're afraid instinctively, even on a subconscious level, that when they bite into the fruit of this community called the church, that it won't be an apple that nourishes them, but it will be an apple filled with worms. Or it will be a spring that's not fresh water, but it will be a spring that is salt water that they'll have to spit out. That's what happens when our tongues are schizophrenic. It's a bad witness to the gospel. And nobody, as Psalm 34 says, nobody wants to taste and see that the Lord is good because God's people are double-tongued. Listen to what 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 11 says. He says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, 
but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we are people that proclaim. And when we proclaim this type of speech that Paul is, or that James is condemning here, we confuse the world about the hope of the gospel. Okay, these are the problems. Some practical, we just end quickly with some practical application. How can we fight to tame our tongues? How can we bridle our tongues? What hope does the Bible give us? What are the means of grace? What has God given us to help us fight for obedience and sanctification in this area? And what do I mean by means of grace? This is the way the Bible works. This is the way the Christian life works. The Bible doesn't just give us little fortune cookie verses that are sort of like magic eight balls or silver bullets that just sort of leapfrog us into Christ-likeness. It gives us ways, it gives us avenues, means of grace that if we tap into will make us over the course of time as we keep tapping into these means of grace, as we keep availing ourselves of them, that it will make us slowly over time more and more like Jesus. That, that's what sanctification is. That's the way the spiritual life works. It's not, a, it's not a code. It's a way of living. And here are some means of grace that God has given us to help us fight to tame our tongues. And none of them are rocket science. But all of them are, I think, pathways for every Christian. First, shockingly, if you've been around Crosspoint, I hope you, you have this instinct. Remember the gospel and preach it to yourself. Remember Dear friend, if you've been convicted today, if, if you know that your tongue has, has, has been set on fire by hell for gossip or sarcasm or tearing down or robbing the life of your, your family, your spouse, your children, or the people that you're around, know that if you're a believer in Jesus, God has given you a new heart, and that new heart will overcome. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And as I was preparing this message, I, I just had a particular burden, and I just want to say this, a particular burden for those of you that are in the army, particularly those of you that are in these, these battalions of combat arms, ranger battalion and ranger regiment and infantry battalions and infantry training and armor and cav, those are some of the most difficult places to tame your tongue. And I, I know that. I've been in those environments. And the language, the things that are talked about, the coarse joking, the filthiness can be overwhelming. And it can be an incredible battle. It can be an incredible battle for you to tame your tongue and not have your tongue be informed by the battalion of men around you. I know that. And just a note, wives, Wives, have a special, wives of infantrymen and armor guys, have a special grace for your husband when he comes home and in the frustration of a moment, he lets a word fly that causes you to back up and say, how can my husband who claims to be a Christian say these things? Have a special grace for him because he's been in an environment that is incredibly dark. And, and pray for him in that moment. Don't judge him, pray for him in that moment. But remember, dear brother and sister, wherever you are, remember that the gospel, remember the gospel, remember that God lives in you, remember that he's taken your old heart, that he's forgiven all your sins, past, present, and future, that you're in Christ, and greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Preach that to yourself every day. His mercies are new every morning. You failed six times, get up a seventh day and live for Christ that day. 
Right now, you're so convicted, you can't wait for the bell to ring so that you can leave class. I know that feeling. Don't do that. Repent right now. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Cling to Christ. Don't be sunken down with guilt. Get outside of yourself. Repent of it. And remember that Christ has made you new. Secondly, fill your mind and heart with God's word. Just, just fight, 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 fight to read the Bible. Fight to do it. I, 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 you know, this is ground zero for the Christian life. Come on, fight to read the Bible. It's hard to understand. I know it is. But English was hard to learn when you were two, but you kept listening. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Fill your heart with God's word. Listen to it as you drive into work. Read a chapter a day. Fight. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can plan for hunting season. You can plan to watch the game. You can plan to watch the show. You can plan to read God's word. Three, repent to the Lord and those you've hurt with your tongue. Men, lead in this. Lead in this. We all know that we've hurt people around us, people that we love. Repent to the Lord. Martin Luther, as he kicked off the Protestant Reformation, said that repentance isn't just the beginning of the Christian life, it's the whole of the Christian life. Repent to the Lord afresh and to those you've hurt with your tongue. Man, maybe one action item coming out of this morning is that you sit with your wife and your children and you just, you express sorrow and you confess and you ask for forgiveness in ways that your tongue has hurt them and you strive to tame your tongue because Christ is in you and you're able to. Fourth, humble yourself by asking for feedback. We all have blind spots. We all have blind spots. Give a trusted friend or a spouse permission to not just in that moment, but over the course of weeks or months, give me feedback on the tone of my tongue. That, that, that might be just monumental. This, this could be paradigm shifting for somebody in this room. If they would have the discipline to just do this, humble yourself by asking for feedback and give somebody permission to speak into your life and say, if my tongue is being used in a sarcastic, gossipy, destroying sort of, destructive sort of way, call me on it. Call me on it. We, we've, we live this life together and humble yourself by asking for feedback and accountability from a trusted friend or spouse. And then fifthly, just commit, commit Commit to speak words of life to those around you. I think the, the gift of encouragement, spiritual encouragement, to on some level mark every new creature in Christ. This is a command that all of us are to heed. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, Paul says, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Hebrews 10, verse 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Just get your head on a swivel. 
get your eyes off of yourself and your, your, your spiritual gaze off of your own belly button and think who you might bless, who you might encourage, a simple word. Like, oh man, it was good to see you today. I just love standing next to you and hearing you sing. Oh, you encourage me in this way. How can I pray for you? I just love being in the same church family for you. This is something that you did that I saw that encouraged me in the faith. Bless, bless people. And God can take little tiny words like that and he can bring life. He can bring life. He can do amazing things with them. Amazing things. Amazing things. I can remember moments in my past when somebody just said a passing word to me and it became a change in the spiritual trajectory of my life and that person was just offering a moment just off the top of their head an encouragement for me and they had no idea how the Lord would use that to bring life into my soul. And all of it, this, this place, this church, families in this church, relationships in this church would be echo chambers of gospel encouragement so that fruit might grow, gossip and sarcasm might die, death might be brought, death would go away and life would come and Christ would be glorified. Well, in just a moment, we're about to see a brother in our church be baptized to proclaim, to proclaim this gospel that should be on our lips. But let's pray now and ask the Lord to help us live out these words. Lord, <clears throat> one of the Psalms, I think it's 130, I'm not sure, it says, Lord, if you were to mark our iniquities who could stand? James says it in verse 2 here of our text. We all stumble in many ways. Or none of us are beyond the scope of this passage. All of us have tongues that are marked at various times in our lives by these destructive ways. We confess it to you. I confess my gossiping, sarcastic, death-bringing tongue. Renew my tongue. Renew my heart. Let words of life, let fresh water and good fruit flow out of me, as we read earlier, like a stream of living water. Let gospel life mark my speech and the speech of those in this room today. And now, Lord, as we see this brother be baptized as we see him proclaim the excellencies of Christ in his testimony and in his baptism. May we be encouraged. May we be encouraged to speak words of life to the world around us as we worship you and as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen.